Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Clouds above, clouds below, a twinkling expanse as far as the eye can see, the air glimmering in all directions with fine crystal particulates. Nothing and no one. The light blinding and iridescent almost, glowing from each and every chunk of this mica, this white, glassy rock that hangs weightless in the air. In much the same way that prisms refract light, twinkling sparkles of this omnipresent glow dance across the cloudscape. There are small crystals and large crystals and gigantic ones all floating in the breeze, wafting slowly through the air. And just there, emerging now from a cloud bank, is one particularly colossal, sharp, brilliant berg of this glassy substance. This is not a hospitable region for ships, and this berg in particular looks murderous, like it's taken down quite a few ships in its time. In fact, there's a piece of wreckage stuck to it right now, pinned against the bottom of it like a helium balloon that's trapped against the ceiling. In this case, it's more accurate to imagine a cruise ship upside down, trapped at the bottom of this berg. Oh, it has been for years. Belly up, buoyant, pressing against the underside of the crystalline formation, having risen here and stopped. Porthole after empty porthole reflecting the gleaming white light outside. And through one porthole, a little face looking out. The face of a boy. The face of a hostage. Here, inside one of the topsy-turvy, destroyed promenades upper decks of this cruise liner, there is a man and a boy. The boy's hands are bound in front of him. He looks forlornly out one of the windows, not having much else to do at the moment. The man is distracted, pacing back and forth along the length of the promenade, the ballroom, muttering under his breath, fiddling with something in his hands feverishly. Both of these figures are disheveled, unkempt, dirty. Smelly, if we're being honest. They sit here in the midst of all this wreckage. Tables turned upside down, glassware, broken plates, shattered shipboard paraphernalia all over the floor, which here in this case is actually the promenade ceiling. The man, Ginsberg is his name, looks to be in somewhat rougher shape than the boy, although at least he's not bound. But he has a bandage wrapped around his head, some dirty, browned blood seeping through it. Some head wound that hadn't been properly tended to. Recent. And he's got an earpiece on. He's shouldering this little ratty headphones-like thing. He is twizzling the dials on his contraption, this teletheric transducer in his hand. Bats it on the side, trying to get a clearer signal, going over closer to the window, shoving the boy out of the way. Get down, he says. Someone might see you. That, of course, is the point. That's why the boy was in the window in the first place. He gulps, the boy does, and attempts bravely. 
Someone like the Consector, you mean? They'll come for me, you know. Consectors always win. Ginsburg is going to say something sarcastic. He knows damn well the Consectors do not always win, but he is interrupted, distracted by a sudden signal coming through his teletheric. A booming, bombastic voice. The Consector's ship cuts through the glistening atmosphere of the upper unfold in hot pursuit, doggedly tracking that most foul, that most dangerous and wicked manservant, Demarion Ginsburg, who, for those who are just tuning in, kidnaps young Milton Flight Jr., grandchild of Milton Flight, the senior race. And that's all Ginsburg needs to hear. He shuts that the hell off. He swears under his breath. Grabs the boy. I told you they were coming for me. Move, he says, dragging him forward. Outside the cruise ship, way off across the sky, just barely visible from one of the cruise liner's portholes, there comes a craft. Swimming through the air, hundreds of oars fanning the wind. Like a glittering golden sea urchin, the Consector's flagship. Aboard this ship, the third major protagonist of our story. Tall, dignified, darkly handsome, lustrous hair flowing over his shoulders, a trim beard, a steely gaze, gold armor coating his person. Commanding respect and admiration from everyone around him. Consector Jonas Spar. And beside him, in slightly less impressive armor, the protagonist in question, Phineas Thatch Adsekla to the Consector. His second in command, if you like. Let's take a look at him, shall we? He's smaller, for sure. Less dignified, less dramatic and commanding. Much younger, much less experienced. No beard. Short, dirty blonde hair. His armor, silver where the Consector's is gold. An impressive mica mace at his hip. The pair of them, these two men, walking and talking down the corridors of their craft, accompanied by an entire company of soldiers, they make an impressive and striking duo. That is largely thanks to Consector Spar. Phineas doesn't add very much to the equation. They walk and talk, discussing the strategy to come. And every one of their actions is narrated attentively by Jedediah Palm, who follows them. Jedediah Palm, the voice of the teletheric. The narrator we heard just moments ago. Familiar and beloved by those listeners at home, far away, tuned into the airwaves from their living rooms in the distant crystalline cities of the Un. Palm, known so well, so intimately, having narrated the adventures of a dozen consectors previous to Jonas Spar. This man, Jedediah Palm, large and red-faced, he's sort of like a cross between like a circus ringmaster and a radio shock jockey. All bluster, all outrageous performance. All he cares about is that you keep listening. He speaks ceaselessly into a microphone being held for him by an attendant, more on that later, and almost 
unstoppable stream of narration coming poetically from his lips. He never has to stop to think about it, and it is perfectly exaggerated, perfectly calculated to ensnare and entrap the interest of those audiences at home clustered around their teletheric devices. Sound familiar. Waiting breathlessly for the next step in the adventure of the Consector. Oh, and what an adventure it is. Spar, walking now, they are headed down a deck towards the airlock, the company members in step behind them, turning to Phineas. This'll be a simple operation, Finn. In and out. Just gotta pick up Ginsburg and get out of there. I don't personally believe he's that much of a danger to young flight. Do you? Well, no, sir. I, I imagine not. He's been with the family for years and took care of the boy, from what I understand. You did read his file, I hope. Oh, of course. If you've known Ginsburg as long as I have, Finn, you would know that Ginsburg is a weak-willed individual. Frankly, I'm astonished that he even got this far. Oh, you've met him? I've met him a number of times. Of course you know me. <laughs> Rubbing shoulders with all these big wigs, as it were. Anyway, Ginsburg, frankly, does not strike me as a rebel, and I'm astonished that he even made it this far. He should be no challenge to us. Spar, the benevolent consector, apparently deigns to even speak to the help of the glamorous families that he works for. They descend into a marshalling room, where perhaps a hundred or so soldiers, this, the consector's company, have assembled for this operation. I'm going to let you take the lead on this one, Phineas. Are you ready? Sure thing, sir. You take the lead, the company will follow. I will stay back just a bit. I'll keep an eye on things. Phineas hasn't led any company operations solo before. He's always been there to support Spar, to do whatever Spar asked of him. He's a little bit nervous to be put in charge, but this should be well within his abilities. After all, they have a hundred or so company members, and they're only up against one man. Tired from days of running. Exhausted. Hungry, probably. Spar. Pats Phineas on the back. Take it away, Phineas. The company members listen attentively. Even Palm silences his bombastic narration for a moment. And the intern turns the microphone to Phineas. All right, company, this should be a pretty easy mission. Just kind of an in and out. <clears throat> there are only so many places where he could hide. But we're going to go in. We're going to get him. He mutters a few things about Team 1 going towards the stern, Team 2 going port. They're going to fan out, make for me. He, he, you know, it's the lingo. A slightly disappointed look flits across Jedediah Palm's face just for a moment before he effortlessly offers up his own interpretation of what Phineas has just said. His delivery is drowned out by a sudden explosion of wind. The airlock door has just been opened. The vast void howls, yawning emptiness above and below, just outside the threshold. In a practiced and fluid motion, each member of the company, including Jonas Spar and Phineas Thatch, flick down face guards, masks, protection against the elements of the unfold. Outside the airlock, across that wind-blown expanse of empty air, there is, hovering distantly, a few hundred feet away, a vast butte of mica, pinioned underneath it, a cruise ship. Out come the harpoons. They wait for Phineas's mark. And Phineas, realizing that they're waiting for his mark, points 
emphatically. He points a couple extra times, just to be sure, and the harpoons are loosed. Deployed. The shriek through the air, they spurt forth, trailing guidelines, shooting across the emptiness, plunging into the cruise ship, snapping taut, whizzing and twanging in the air. The thick metal cords singing in the void. Moments like this, oh, Phineas's hair just stands on end just a little bit. It feels so cool. No one gets into the Consector's company if they have vertigo, and it's a good thing. As the company members begin to zipline from one ship to the other, the endless white void yawns beneath their feet. If they were to fall, they would keep falling. It's a long way down. Phineas is out the hatch, and the media contingent is on their way to the dinghy. They will be coming across slowly. None of this for Jedediah Palm. He considers himself quite adventurous enough coming along on missions like this without having to join the young folks in their adventurous ziplining and bungeeing and rock climbing. Phineas whizzes across the expanse, ziplining along this cable. Micah shards fizzing on his armor, sparking and glittering as they contact him feeling only the slightest of flips in his stomach as he goes over the vast expanse. And soon, he is through a broken wall of the cruise liner, shooting into an upside-down corridor. Light fixtures, loose chandeliers lying slack on the ceiling floor. His armored boots land solidly. Already, his company members are speeding out before him, fanning, taking positions. Phineas takes the lead. Jonas Spar zip lines into the corridor behind him, watching quietly. The company is being entirely professional, of course, but compared to some other recent missions they've been on, their energy this time is a little bit lackadaisical, a little bit relaxed. The stakes are not as high. Outside the window, through the porthole, through the shattered wall of the cruise liner, the dinghy is already detaching from the Consector's ship, wheeling over. It'll probably reunite with the company a little bit further ahead in the ship. And that's precisely where the company heads. With Phineas leading them, they proceed to do a quick, practiced, professional sweep of the ruined cruise ship, working their way from one end to the other, by process of elimination, working their way closer and closer to the inevitable location of the fugitive and his hostage. Shattered staterooms, decommissioned kitchens, broken dining rooms, each one fading into a montage of ruin and decrepit luxury as they search forward. A lot of this search is killing time. Ginsburg has left a pretty distinct trail. Phineas has no trouble following it. But he has been told to wait for the media to arrive, and they're not here quite yet. Ginsburg was obviously panicked and in somewhat of a rush. And injured, judging by the drops of blood and the scuffling marks left in the dusty ground, which, as you recall, is the ceiling. The dinghy is pulling up outside. Phineas, glancing over his shoulder, looks to Spar. Spar gives him a nod. It's time. They can hear the media approaching, Palm's unmistakable tones growing louder and closer. The dinghy pulling toward a shattered crevice in one wall, one outer wall. Secure the crevice, Phineas directs, and with a snigger, a couple of the company move to do so. Palm is bombastically aboard, gibbering away, and Phineas moves ahead. In no time at all, they come to that grand promenade at the prow of the ship. Through a door, 
There's Ginsburg. Easy. He hasn't really attempted to hide, it seems. Or if he did, he did a very bad job. But he does have one tactic up his sleeve, and only one. The boy, who he has roughly grabbed around the neck. A knife pressed to his flesh. The knife is a bit of a surprise. Even Spar is visibly taken a bit aback. Ginsburg. Ginsburg. Dutiful servant to his employers for countless years. Always gentle, always obedient. A knife, though? This, this is extreme. This is different. Spar almost looks like he's going to take the lead. But Phineas holds up a hand. He directs the company to fan out around the circumference of the ballroom. They obey instantly, their energy now subtly sharpened. And Phineas, holding his hands away from the mace at his hip, takes a tentative step into the room. Stop, Ginsburg says. He seems like he wants to say something else, but he doesn't. He doesn't know quite what he's trying to do here. That's clear. He has no real objective. The boy senses his captor's hesitation. Consector, help! Ginsburg squeezes the kid. The kid shuts up. Ginsburg looks upset at having squeezed the kid. He relaxes his grip on the kid. He's not really a very good kidnapper. His face is a mask of tortured, conflicting emotions. This guy has seen some shit recently. Phineas can tell that Ginsburg doesn't really want to be doing this. Well, this exact thing with the boy and the knife and the whole thing. Maybe he can use that. Ginsburg, let's talk. You just stay right there, okay? Don't... you don't come any closer. I can stay here. I just want to talk. What are you trying to do here? I was trying to avoid this kind of thing, Thatch. What kind of thing? This standoff. I don't want this to be happening any more than you do. You can just let me go. I'll give him back to you, but just let me go. Ginsburg knows this isn't going to work. If Thatch were here by himself, it might. Maybe. One man to one man. But the entire company is here, and the media is there, and the media has just heard him say that. The look that comes over his face makes that abundantly clear. Ginsburg readjusts his grip on the boy. His palms are sweaty. His eyes are darting nervously from window to window, back and forth across the room, as though he's contemplating making a break for it, hurling himself out into the void. That's one form of escape. He looks suddenly unspeakably frustrated, so sick of all of this. He miserably drops the knife, lets go of the boy. Fuck it. He says, palm, oh, splutters in the background. The censors will have to take care of that one at home. You must know we can't just let you go, Ginsburg. I know that, Ginsburg says. The boy has already been taken safely into custody. He immediately went running towards the few of the nearest company members. I know there's nothing I can do. Fine. I, I see. I understand. He looks absolutely dead. He has resigned himself to this. He has been beaten. Whatever it is he wanted, he cannot have. Wherever it was he was going, he will never go. There is no way out of this for him. Phineas feels a pang of sympathy. Spar is watching him. Ginsburg turns. He walks to the windows nearby, the portholes, looking out of them into the expanse. And Phineas closes the distance between Ginsburg and himself. He takes up a position just a few feet behind Ginsburg. The boy, Milton Flight Jr., is being escorted from the chamber by the company. Spar has sauntered just a little bit closer, keeping an eye on the situation, watching 
And as Palm interviews the boy, Phineas tries a slightly different tack with Ginsburg. You're not completely lost, Ginsburg. No, I know exactly where I'm going, Ginsburg says. He turns, looking Phineas square in the face. Back to the city with you, into a cell. Even those of us who were unlifts, who started with debts so deep, it seemed impossible that you could ever climb out. There is always hope. What are you talking about, kid? You're an Edsekla. I'm a servant. I have nothing. I'm going nowhere. Whatever debt I may have had is now irreversibly quintupled. I'm swimming in it. Drowning in Kynum. I will I will never break even. I can't believe what I've done. And he sits on the ground. And Phineas, taking a step closer and laying a silver gauntleted hand on the manservant's shoulder. Spar is watching. We are, none of us, irredeemable in the eyes of the trust. Then Ginsburg looks up at him, inspecting him, trying to see into him. Do you really believe that? Ginsburg says, getting slowly to his feet, brushing himself off. Do you really, honestly believe that? The company men are closing in. Tell me, you believe that, Thatch? Tell me, and I'll believe it too. Phineas takes a breath. And the company swoops in and arrests Ginsburg. Nicely done, Phineas. Consector Spar says, patting Phineas on the back. Reasonably well handled and swiftly, too. Why, I don't think Palm has even expended a full reel yet. We had packed at least two. Well, thanks, sir, and... Thank you for the opportunity. I tremendously appreciate the opportunity. Of course. An easy one, but little steps, Phineas. Little steps. Next time, it'll be more important still. We will raise the stakes for you next time. I'm pleased, though I must say, he takes Phineas confidentially aside as they begin to circle back out of the chamber. You need to dial it up just a little bit for the media. You are aware they're listening. Little too much chit-chat there with Ginsburg. A little more directed towards the microphone in the future, understand? Sure thing, sir. Uh, my mistake. Fantastic. And the Consector's team exit the ballroom. They're restless and jovial, high energy, the way they always are after the close of a successful mission. Looking forward to getting back someplace where they can have a nice drink and a meal. Company members ziplining back across towards the ship. Jedediah Palm climbing back aboard his dinghy with his backpack associate, narrating all the while. And the case has been closed most substantially, ladies and gentlemen. The criminal Ginsburg apprehended, clapped in irons, being escorted now back to his cell for secure incarceration and return to the city for trial and questioning. The dinghy, the company men, the ship turn, the harpoons break free, drop, shed into the air, whispering down, disappearing into the clouds. The consector's vessel turns, oars fanning, and it whispers away into the clouds, and it is quiet once again. It's quiet for a good long while until the Consector ship disappears completely into the distance. Then, a flicker of movement. It looks as though a piece of the mica berg detaches itself from the face of the rock. 
just above the prow of the cruise liner. A shard of rock, splitting, sloughing off, but it skirts out into the air, strangely, almost like a living thing, turning, revealing a secret underside. Some oars of its own emerge and begin to flit against the cloudscape. A tiny stealth craft. A strange, limpet like ship, separating from the rock, floating off into the air, turning and whispering off in the opposite direction, away from the contactor's ship, going forth to its own destination. Having missed its opportunity here. Having failed its mission. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.